the Line to Game podcast. This is episode 15 of uh, season three, covering week 14 of the 2023 NFL season. My name is Jeremy Dixon. I'm here as always with Mike Parker. Mike, how's it going? What is up, Jeremy? It's good to be here. Right on, right on, man. So, uh, yeah, we're we, we're still uh, off on our degenerate corner. At least I don't know if you're you're doing some bets this week or what, but we'll get to that uh, eventually. Uh, do you want to dig into these games? Uh, yeah, let's do it. We got two games on, or two teams on buys this week: Arizona Cardinals and the Washington uh, Commanders. Still a weird a name la- to hear. W- was this the last week of buys? Yeah, I was wrong last week. It, this was the last week of buys, week 14. So rest of the way, we'll have uh, 16 games moving forward. Right on, yeah. Three days a week now, it seems like, for the, at least the next couple weeks. Well, we got three Saturday games coming up, I believe. So it's a Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday About situation. Games, yeah. So it'll be pretty bonkers. Um, yeah, get a lot of get some uh, individual eyeballs on some of these teams because there won't be any competition with other games on uh, Thursday, Friday, and Monday. Thursday, Saturday. All right. But yeah. Thursday, Saturday, Monday. You're right. Yeah. No one. All right. No one on All right. Friday. All okay, right. Let's, man, get... let's uh, yeah, let's dig into Patriots and Steelers. Yep. Um, there was a time you may remember where Pitt was six and three and we were trying to figure out how. Uh, but this is a new time. Uh, they're now seven and six. Their offense is still bad. Only 264 total points or uh, total yards on offense this week. Um, but this time the pit defense isn't playing out of their minds. Pass rush wasn't really there. Uh, we saw some mistakes on the back end. Uh, they give up three touchdown uh, passes to Bailey Zappi. Um, now they lose to New England, but somehow New England gets mathematically eliminated from the playoffs um, by the end of of week 14. So interesting times. Yeah, so I did see, um, like my first note from this game was, uh, first of all, TJ Watt Watt suffered a concussion on the first play of the game that wasn't diagnosed until the next day. And I I just read, I think yesterday, that – the NFL and NFLPA are, are investigating uh, what happened as they, as they how should. Was, Absolutely. How he, how he was able to remain in the game. Uh, I said, the NFL needs to do better with that. Um, and then my, my thing was that this was really a, a, you know, this was everybody I heard like in the betting space was saying, take the under in this game. Like these defenses are both, decent and both of these offenses are absolutely horrendous and uh it was legitimately a tale of two halves because bailey zappy throws for three first half touchdowns uh but then new england doesn't score after that and mitch trubisky can't do anything in the first uh half but um did lead i guess them on to a first quarter field goal and the fans, by the end of the first half, uh, the fans were chanting for Mason Rudolph to be their quarterback. Which, is he even, uh, if he is he on the roster? He is. Yeah, he was. He was down okay. there on the sidelines. Um, okay. Yeah, which which speaks volumes to uh, to how well, terrible Trubisky was playing in the first half. Let, let's quickly talk about my spotlight because you brought up the Pittsburgh offense. Um, despite Trubisky's uh, second half, um, he did finish out 
the most important drive of the game. Two, two minutes, five seconds left. Third and two, deep pass to George Pickens. And fourth and two, um, a, another deep pass to Deontay Johnson, both incomplete, essentially ending their ability to uh, kind of get get ahead of New England. They did have an opportunity to possess the ball towards the end of the game. They had two shots downfield. They had to go deeper on those ones because they just didn't have enough time to matriculate the field. But, yeah, not a very good um, finish that, to that uh, Pittsburgh offense. That fourth and two after the turnover um, that they were able to get from New England, uh, which I think was on an interception from Bailey Zappi, uh, going forward on that fourth and two really came back to bite them, obviously. You know, with losing by three points, you could have kicked a field goal, not guaranteeing that it would have gone in. But, um, yeah, pretty uh, – seemed like uh, maybe they were uh, panicking a little bit just because the offense had been so stagnant up to that point. I, I can see kind of where they were thinking, you know, we better put a put a touchdown on the board here. Or it might get out of hand quickly. So, um, yeah, that's interesting. That that happened. What you're talking about happened just uh, towards the end of the third quarter right. uh, interception and then a turnover on downs after four plays. Again, same, similar down and distance, fourth and two with an opportunity to kind of keep the the chains moving and uh, couldn't convert. Right. But yeah, I mean, you know, Bailey Zappi throwing for three touchdowns and he did have the interception, but uh, 240 yards. And then Ezekiel Elliott, um, you know, he really had a resurrection game, um, you know, gotten the caught a, caught a touchdown pass and had 140 all purpose yards. So good for him. Yeah, uh, he gets my game ball uh, for all those reasons that you've mentioned. I also want to call out his uh, kind of game-saving tackle of Pittsburgh, Michael Walker, kind of running him down. He had 30 yards uh, on the return already and was basically going to score, but Zeke was able to run him down and get him tackled. So that was a big hustle play by him um, to keep his team in the win column this week. Yeah, good for him. All right, moving on. I can set your, your motivation there. Like, good for him. Moving right. on. <laughs> Tampa Bay, Atlanta. So there's a theme this week. It's called Breaking Mike. This is one game, the game one of the Breaking Mike series. I'm really rooting for Atlanta here. And obviously, it was a blown opportunity for them. Um, they win, and they're seven and six, first place in the NFC South with a two game lead over Tampa. Uh, but Atlanta. Cannot have nice things um, as it stands. Tampa's at the top of the NFC South uh, with three teams, Tampa, Atlanta, New Orleans, all sitting at sub 500 at seven and six. It's going to be an interesting final four games um, to decide who wins this pitiful NFC South. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, my first note was that Desmond Ritter was directly responsible for nine uh, points for Tampa Bay. Um, through one of the worst interceptions on a screenplay that I've ever seen that set Tampa Bay up inside the five yard line, uh, first and goal. And yeah, that, that was just disgusting. Yeah. I, I'm spotlighting Tampa Bay's defense to that point somehow got torched for 434 yards and won this game. Uh, very strange. I think it's more the story of Atlanta's ineptitude in the red zone. Uh, than this amazing defense of Tampa Bay. Uh, they kind of are like a bend, don't break, or at least they were in this game. 
Yeah. Um, you know, I had Mike Evans only catches one ball for eight yards in this game, which was pretty shocking uh, from Tampa Bay's off uh, point of view offensively. He did come. Th- their defense was their defense was very very focused on him in this game. Yeah, he did come very close to catching a, a third quarter touchdown. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it was just yeah, it just was. This was not a great game. I was not not a. Uh, very interested in it at all but you know Desmond Ritter does throw even in in the the loss throws for 347 um and the touchdown then has a rushing touchdown as well and uh Drake London goes for 10 yeah. catches and 172 yards you know career day for him so far uh in his yeah career. he gets my he gets my game ball I, I think the one that's weird is no touchdowns 172 yards that's essentially three full NFL drives uh no TDs uh, this is uh, <laughs> this stat line is so much a 2020 only a 2020 team can pull off this stat. And so by 2020, we mean they're really good between the 20 yard lines, but can't. But outside of that, that uh, bell curve, they're not very good teams. So Atlanta was moving the ball inside the 20s, but could not get into the end zone. It's just, it was so weird. I looked at that number. I'm like, this is an insane number with no touchdowns. Yeah. It's no. kind of like a Calvin Johnson number. A lot of yards, 300 yards and one touchdown. Like, how is that possible? It's crazy, man. All right. It's crazy. All right. Speaking of Calvin Johnson, we got Detroit at Chicago uh, next. Um, I think it's time uh, to panic a bit if you're a Detroit fan. It's the they seem to be regress, regressing uh, quite a bit. This week was a buffet of uh, for a declining team. Bad quarterback play, underperforming offensive line, a lot of drops, turnovers, penalties. They just couldn't they they just couldn't get out of their own way this week. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I did not. You know, my first note was just didn't see this one coming at all. Uh, you know. Uh, Lions go are ahead fourteen to ten at halftime, but they get sh- completely shut out in the second half. That was that was pretty shocking to me. Um, and the the Bears' offense finally seems to be clicking a little bit. Uh, they did, yeah, especially on the back end. Yeah, Fields throws for two twenty three and a touchdown, rushes for fifty eight and another touchdown, and most importantly, had no turnovers. Right, but my spotlight, but well. The defense, if you don't have a 21-point lead with this defense, um, you're probably – it's going to be close. Um, and depending on what quarterback version you get, Jared Goff or, in this week, Jared Goof, 57% on 35 passing, 161 yards, a touchdown, and two interceptions. Not a very good day by him. Only um, the, They only get the ball to Amon Ross St. Brown three times also for 21 yards. And, I mean, that's like their – that's probably their best weapon on offense. And a, and, a, and a testament to that Chicago secondary that we had mentioned earlier. My game ball, I'm going to give to Chicago as a team. Uh, it was a great team win. Uh, it wasn't Justin's best day throwing the ball. Had 223 and a touchdown. Uh, he was really able to dominate in the run game. 58 yards and another touchdown. Um, some of them were design runs that just hit, <laughs> hit that Detroit defense right in the mouth. Um, Chicago's defense held the Detroit offense to less than 300 yards, caused three turnovers, 
EJ Moore looked great again, 88 all-purpose yards and two touchdowns. So a great team win for Chicago. Absolutely. Yeah. DJ Moore looked great out there. Definitely a good uh, weapon for them. Yeah. That's one guy that you want to hold on to as a, an asset for that team. Um, I think he's a security blanket. Like we use tight ends for like new quarterbacks coming in, rookie quarterbacks. Uh, somebody like DJ Moore um, is a great possession receiver. He's a, he's a tough runner. Uh, Debo light maybe. Um, yeah. Good to have on your team. Yeah. Um, Indianapolis at Cincinnati. Uh, this was a rematch of the 2018 Apple Cup where uh, Jake Browning and the Washington Huskies uh, upset Gardner Minshew's Washington State Cougars 28 to 15. Jake Browning comes out on top again this week, uh, beating Minshew's Indiana, uh, Indianapolis Colts 34 to 14. Yeah, so I saw a stat um, that Jake Browning has a 79.7 completion percentage through his first three games starting, uh, which is the best in the NFL since I think it's at 1950. Yeah, pretty good. He has definitely thrown the ball well. Um, I have him as my uh, game ball, of course, Jake and Bake over the last two games. I'll throw another stat at you. 82% as a starter on 61 passes, uh, over 600 yards passing, three TDs and only one pick. Uh, he's also uh, added another two rushing touchdowns. So he's having a really, really good couple of games. Um, we'll see uh, with the film next week how they do. Um, they're keeping it simple for him. Nothing deep, all short, getting getting him in some rhythm and letting the, the um, Jamar Chases and the Joe Mixons. And there's another Chase on their team, Chase Brown. Where yeah. did this guy come from? Yeah, yeah, you know, so I, I had – I wanted to point out the Cincinnati defense because, you know, the game's tied 14-14 at halftime, and um, Cincinnati just shuts down Indianapolis in the second half while the Bengals are able to to, to add 20 to their total to, to finish the game out. Chase And then Chase Brown and Joe Mixon seem like a great one-two punch, I said. Um Mixon leads the Bengals in rushing with 79 yards and a touchdown, has another 46 receiving, and Brown leads the team in receiving uh, with 80 yards and a touchdown to go along with uh, 25 yards rushing. So good good little, uh, you know, kind of change of pace back there um, that, that's able to, to to switch stuff up for them. And, you know, great, yeah, great one-two punch at running back for them for sure. Yeah, Chase Brown's definitely more uh, explosive from the running back position than uh, Joe Mixon is. Um, but in this two-game streak, uh, this is my spotlight, Joe Mixon has a, over 100 all-purpose yards in each of those two games, and he's scored a total of three touchdowns. This is, uh, like, you see these flashes with Joe Mixon. He did it kind of towards the end of the season last year and into the playoffs to really get them to that uh, AFC championship game. Like if they want to win a Super Bowl and they want to keep Joe Mixon on this this on this team, this is the Joe Mixon they need to see more often. We have to have him out there throwing and catching. I don't care how you get to 100 and a touchdown, whether that's rushing or whether that's screen passes. And just having that weapon out there is so important. So if he if he continues to do this, it's going to help Jake. You got some explosive plays from Jace, uh, Chase Brown. Um, you know, Jamar Chase is getting out there, uh, getting after it too. He, you know, um, 
Jake Browning's distributing the ball well to all of the receivers. T. Higgins and Boyd is are are eating as well. So, uh, and he loves that sample kid. Must have a relationship with him. They were, um, <laughs> they were college roommates. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's being a bit facetious, but yeah, overall, uh, last two weeks this team's looked pretty good. Uh, the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, you can't replace Joe Burrow, um, but. You know, we'll see when Jake, when it comes down to it, can Jake make that heady, daring, accurate throw or really push the ball downfield when he needs it, when they're behind and something's, you know, a turnover just happened and then they need to get back on schedule. We'll see if he can do that. If he can, man, this team's good enough to get in there. So we'll see. Yeah, it'll be interesting. All right. Jacksonville at Cleveland. This was the game two of breaking Mike. I was looking forward to seeing a better, more consistent team at the top of the AFC. So I was a little disappointed in Jacksonville's play. Um, this game was pretty much all over the all over the place. Flacco looked good in spots. Him and, and, and Joku seemed to have a lot of chemistry, which is kind of cool, um, which is something that Calvin Ridley and Trevor Lawrence don't seem to have at all, especially in this game. There were a lot of miscues with Ridley. Zay Jones was getting dominated by the Cleveland uh, secondary. Um, despite all of this, Jacksonville, Jacksonville did have a chance to win uh, this game. They kind of just ran out of time. They needed another, you know, full sustained drive to get onto the, and they just weren't able to manufacture that at the end. Um, yeah, I don't think either of these teams had announced a starting quarterback as of early Sunday. I don't think either of them announced a starting quarterback till early Sunday morning, however, is what I meant to say. Uh, you know, Joe Flacco gets the nod for Cleveland. Um, and this guy looks freaking great, man. If they could keep him protected, like I feel like he is he can still sling it quite a bit, man. And then Trevor Lawrence, obviously, um, was back this week uh he had a bit of a rough game uh throwing for three touchdowns but three interceptions as well coming off of that high ankle sprain um but yeah i mean and uh it, it i think just... both of emerson's picks were um guarding uh ridley and just being like miscue yeah okay. not sitting down in the in the in the the window like he was supposed to you could see Trevor trevor trying to communicate to him like like look at me dude you know, you need to sit right. and just that those miscues just hurt them so much today. Yeah. the, or, uh, the uh, On Sunday. The, yeah. Yeah. The tight, the tight ends in this game really showed out, man. And David and Joku um, having six receptions and 91 yards with two touchdowns. And then uh, Evan Ingram on the other side of the ball there for uh, Jacksonville uh, had 11, caught 11 passes for 95 yards and, and another two touchdowns. So it's pretty, not not every day you see uh, four touchdowns to tight ends in one game. Yeah, there. Uh, Evan Ingram's my spotlight. Had a couple of great plays, and moreover than the the yards and touchdowns that you mentioned, he made several key receptions to keep those drives moving. So it's the little stuff. Um, there was very little offense outside of Ingram in this game for for Jacksonville. So he was the one br uh, bright spot for them. Um, I give my game ball this week to Joe Flacco. Um, straight from his mom's couch, he starts the last few games, uh, 565 yards passing, five TDs and only two picks. Um, to your point, still has that arm. He's not a super mobile dude, never was. So if we can get some pressure, pressure in his face, we might see a different version of Flacco. But Jacksonville was not the team. Uh, Sunday was not the day for that to happen. 
Yeah, agreed. Agreed. All right, Carolina at New Orleans. Um, Bryce Young looked bad as ever. Uh, Derek Carr looked worse, uh, although they did manage two touchdown passes, or he managed, Derek Carr, managed two touchdown passes in his 119 yards passing. Another just outrageous stat, two touchdowns on 119 yards, no touchdowns on 172 yards receiving. This is a day of just like weird stats. Uh, New Orleans missed a field goal. This is kind of what they, in their uh, first three possessions, missed a field goal, punted after a fumble um, that they that they recovered, and then scored a TD. That was their first possession. Um, then there was another Carolina, like, fumble and then scoop and score. Um, then in the second half, there were two New Orleans TDs after Carolina turnover on downs. So there, it, it wasn't like New Orleans was out there like an offensive juggernaut their points came off of significant Carolina mistakes or inability to go for it. Like, Hey, I don't, I'm the interim head coach. It doesn't matter. I'm just going for it. Who cares? We don't punt here in Carolina. And it really backfired. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, all the, all the talk on betting Twitter going into this game, Mike was, uh, not to trust the saints as a four and a half point favorite. Uh, but you know, they did. I still don't even after looking at the score. Yeah. Right. Even though, <laughs> yeah, even though they got, they just lucked out. Uh, <laughs> yeah. God, man, Carolina or uh, Bryce young, Derek Carr are just terrible, terrible quarterbacks, man. I mean, I guess you give Bryce young the benefit of the doubt that he's so young, but um, yeah, they just, they just couldn't do anything. Alvin Kamara gets 56 yards and a touchdown. Jimmy Graham finds the end zone uh, for the second week in a row. It's kind of a little vintage uh, Jimmy Graham back down there in, in New Orleans, which is. Yeah, and, and he did it with his clothes on, so that's good. Second time I'm using that joke. All right, he was my spotlight, Jimmy. Uh, good job by him um, doing his little fake dunk thing on the goalpost. Um, you also mentioned Alvin Kamara. He gets my game ball along with Chris Olavi. Um, when New Orleans is forced to blow up this roster at some point, please keep these two. You can pretty much remove everyone else and it won't matter on offense, but these two, you need to have, you probably have it two, maybe three years left of Alvin Kamara at this level. Alave's probably got another, I don't know, eight left. So these are really good players. Um, I think they could plug and play in any offense that you come up with. Uh, so hold on to these guys, but I mean, burn the rest of the house down, I think. Agree. Agree. All right. All right. Houston at New York Jets. Let's do uh, it. Zach Wilson, this... <laughs> AFC player of the week. Let's go. So, yeah, to this. Uh, he was, This was perhaps the most surprising result of the week. Uh, the bottom feeding Jets um, just took it to these, these surging Houston uh, Texans. I think this was the, uh, the Jets that we were supposed to see with Aaron Rodgers. Consistent quarterback play, throwing for a hundred uh, over three hundred yards, games with multiple TDs, limiting turnovers, and then you combine that with that great defense. Um, this is a level of stability that they haven't seen in a while. Now, I don't know if I would call Zach Wilson stable, but he put the template down for what this team needs with this defense from the offensive perspective to be successful and to win games and potentially get themselves in the Super Bowl conversation. 
Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, the the weather for this game, I was kind of just, uh, I don't know what it was. Like, I kept seeing some pouring down rain. Yeah, thing. it was like really, really terrible weather. So I was I was already kind of going in thinking like it might slow down CJ Stroud and the Houston offense through the air. But well, it certainly obviously, did. Obviously, Zach Wilson still throws for 300 yards. So I mean, maybe that's what he needs. It's just like terrible weather situations and he can thrive in that. But uh, you know, yeah, CJ Stroud leaves the game with a concussion. Um, only, you know, only is able to to account for 91 yards prior to that, um, and then it was just, it was just a beat. Yeah, he was he was under quite a bit of duress all day. He's my spotlight. 43 um, percent completion on those 23 passes for 91 yards. It's not an efficient day for him. Uh, this is without a doubt his worst worst performance um, as an NFL uh, player. Um, this. The spread of their game against Tennessee was two and minus two and a half. Tennessee was minus two and a half, which I this is next week's game, which I assume means that Vegas doesn't think that uh, CJ is going to be playing next week. I think that's a major problem for their uh, playoff hopes. Um, so we'll see. And this is Tennessee coming off a great win on Monday. So um, I don't think CJ is going to be playing next week uh, for week 15. Um, I hope they can pull it together. I am rooting for the Texans. Um, but I think without, without that quarterback, there's too many, too many, there's too much of a drop between him and, uh, Davis, uh, what's his name? Davis, uh, Mills. And, um, I don't think this team is ready yet to overcome that much of a drop. If that makes sense. No, I, I think you're absolutely right. Um, I did want to, uh, you know, like we mentioned already, Zach Wilson being the uh, um, AFC player of the week, uh, throws for 300 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, still was doing some Zach Wilson things. Had no interceptions, but did take four sacks and lost a fumble. Um, and I wanted to, to shout out Brees Hall, uh, who only rushes for 40 yards, but also catches eight balls for 86 yards. And Garrett Wilson catches nine balls for 108 yards. So, like, definitely uh those two were yeah when i when i was watching this game garrett wilson was the one kind of pulling them down the field so this is what i like somebody must have gotten in zach wilson's ear and said garrett wilson's the best player you have on this field or best receiver you have on this field let's try to get him the ball today and he definitely obliged that and then Brees Hall was not even supposed to play or he was listed as questionable with a knee or something like that to put out that kind of performance over 120 all purpose yards and a touchdown. Uh, that's great. Um, I'm giving my game ball this week to Zach. He's on the redemption tour. You mentioned all his yards, 75% passing on 36 attempts. So uh, I will throw that in there too. Um, but uh, yeah, he gets my game ball this week. Uh, keep your head up, son. <laughs> All right. All right. Los Angeles Rams at Baltimore. This is uh, game three of Breaking Mike. Um, you know, this is a fun and weird L.A. Rams team, and I don't know why I'm so affectionate with it. I really like the way that Stafford's playing. Um, this was an absolute barn burner. A lot of action in the first half um, leading up to halftime. And then the last seven drives uh, went Baltimore TD, Rams TD, Baltimore TD, Rams TD, Baltimore interceptions, Rams field goal, Baltimore TD. Um, Second half 
um, was like safety, two more TDs, two more field goals to force over to uh, one field goal to force overtime. And then ended in a, like a walk-off punt return for a touchdown. I mean, this game was all over the place. Yeah. Uh, you know, I feel like it really did. Um, it lived up to, to the hype. I was kind of looking forward to this one. I wanted to see where the Rams were. Um, and it really, yeah, it, it was, uh, it was an exciting game, man. I was, you know, I was really excited uh, to see what the Rams offense could do and they showed up, man. Uh, the game was, was close 22, 20 going into the fourth quarter before, uh, everything just went haywire in that last quarter. Like you mentioned, uh, Matt Stafford looking like the vintage player that, uh, he was, God, can he still sling it? How fast it comes out, how fast he makes that decision, how accurate he is, how powerful his arm is still going downfield. I'm really impressed with this play this year. Yeah, and he throws for 294, three touchdowns, no interceptions. Like, guy looks vintage vintage, uh, Matt Stafford for sure. Well, he's in my spotlight with uh, Kyron Williams. Uh, Another pretty spectacular day, 114 yards uh, rushing. That was my Um, yeah, so uh, good job by him keeping the the chains moving. Yeah, yeah. Cooper Cup has has another good game. Eight catches for 115 yards and a touchdown as well. Uh, yeah, and you know, Puka had that Puka had that early drop and then came back with it like a key like third down play. Um, right. Just dropped it right in the bucket and and he made the catch. So right, uh, I like these receivers, man. I really do. Yeah, no, I do too. Um, you know, and then on the flip side, Lamar Jackson throws for three sixteen with three touchdowns uh, and an interception. Uh, also leads the team in in rushing with seventy yards. Um, and then Beckham, Odell Beckham, Isaiah Likely is that his name? First name Isaiah. Yeah. And Isaiah Zay Flowers Likely, yeah. all end up with a receiving touchdown. Uh, and then in, in that overtime, uh, the punt returned for a touchdown. My God, man. Yeah, exciting game. I had I had a blast uh, kind of catching the updates on this one during during red zone. Uh, yeah, my game ball goes to Lamar. Um, not the most efficient day for him. He was uh, about 56% passing on 43 attempts. Uh, he had a couple. Of, now, there's one lame duck, which was like an out to Odell, and he makes this like flip over like play to, to grab it, I think with one hand and bring it in. It it was only like for, you know, 12 or 13 yards. It was a first down, but um, really amazing play. And then that deep pass over the middle, apparently Odell ran the, the wrong route and had to kind of uh, get his head turned around and go find it. Um, ended up getting a touchdown on that one. Um, yeah. It's just some weird play. Sometimes I watch Lamar throw and I just go, what is that? What was he doing? And then you look at these numbers and it's bonkers. 70, 70 yards rushing, that's insane. And it's, it happens so quietly. It's just like he'll, he'll gash you for eight here, 12 there. He'll get 14 here, 18 there, three. Like he just – he glides really. Yeah. Impressive. Um, he's he's a box score guy. Fun to watch, I just, man. I don't know. I don't know. Actually, I, don't have that much fun watching him. <laughs> I enjoy but it. His box, but his box scores are amazing. Yeah, yeah. All right, Minnesota at Las Vegas. Hmm. Every time I switched this game, Max Crosby was tackling somebody. That was my real only takeaway from this. Also, Josh Dobbs was benched for Nick Mullins towards the end of the game. That's all I have. Uh, 
Yeah, my notes. Uh, this game doesn't deserve our attention. The Vikings are terrible. <laughs> the Raiders are terrible. Josh Dobbs should just go to Mars. Uh, he's replaced in the Chief, fourth quarter. sent him to Mars, huh? But he's replaced in the fourth quarter by Nick or Nate Mullins because I couldn't remember his name and I didn't have the the. The energy to give a shit. <laughs> uh, and he drives the Vikings in a field goal range for a game-winning 38-yard field goal. There should be no player of the game. Well, I just gave uh, Greg Joseph, the field goal kicker, uh, the play of the game. He actually scored. Um, my spotlight is how bad Minnesota's offensive line uh, is. Uh, they can't block anybody. Max Crosby was taking handoffs uh, through for, for most of the game. And then we... I think Josh Dobbs is getting like this weird because they're trying to keep him in the pocket. Every time he gets out and does stuff, he's much more dynamic. And inside there, he's just a sitting duck. I guess Nick, who moved the ball at least one drive, does a better job, you know, navigating pressure in the pocket. Um, but I think this is a really bad fit uh, for Josh Dobbs. Those three games that he was lights out for them. Um, is really him just moving around and making things happen um, kind of when the play breaks down, which it always does with this offensive line. Okay, we've talked too much about this game. Let's move on. Hey, we got to talk about the good ones and the bad ones, man. This is this is meaningful. The Minnesota is still in the playoff hunt. Slow your roll. It's All right, Seattle. <laughs> Seattle at San Francisco. Uh, first play of the game, 72-yard run by CMC. Second play was a three-yard uh, San Francisco touchdown run. Seattle responded with an explosive uh, play, 31-yard uh, uh, TD to Derek Me uh, DK Metcalf. Really good uh, throw and catch, um, like a better catch than it was a good throw. Then the wheels kind of fell off for both DK and the Seattle offense. DK is ejected after an incident with Fred Warner uh, on one of uh, Drew Locke's two interceptions. Um just not a good look for that dude. He's one of the most fine players in in, in the NFL. Uh, can't seem – there's the word on the street coming out, um, as Kyle Shannon was talking about, you know, giving advice to other teams. Like, you can get under this kid's skin real fast, and you can get some cheap yards and personal fouls and maybe even an ejection if you just keep chipping at him. So the word is on the street. This kid needs to toughen up a little bit or he's just not going to be long for this league. Oh, he that was Fred Warner. That was a pretty bad cheap shot that he uh, pulled on him. And the, I get it. I get it. But announcers were, we, uh, really... we know how this goes. Anyway, and he didn't yeah, get... I, I, I had the same note, though. Christian McCaffrey takes the first play of the game 72 yards, and then the next play is a touchdown to whoever their backup running back is. Um, and I had you know, Drew Locke. So it seemed like that game was going to go out of control. Drew Locke played surprisingly well, at least in the first half. Um, you know, like you had mentioned, Seattle goes down, scores that touchdown. Only down uh, 14 to 10 at halftime. But then, yeah, the wheels just fell off uh, in that second half. D, you know, DK Metcalf after that touchdown catch isn't targeted again until late in the third quarter, which just seems insane. Um but Brock Purdy, I mean, that's probably your your game ball. He has his throws for a career high, three hundred and sixty eight yards and uh, two touchdowns and an interception, which pretty good game from him. Yeah, he's seventy percent passing on those twenty seven attempts as well, and it kind of moves him to the top two 
he's number two in uh, MVP odds behind Dak Prescott um, as of yesterday. Um, I'm sure as of today as well. So yeah, Brock Purdy definitely gets my game ball in this one. My spotlight, uh, again, I keep harping on, on this. Seattle is now 0-3 on that four-game gauntlet that we talked about um, a few weeks ago and last week, I guess. Next, they play Philly. At least they're at home. It's Monday night. I, I have to I have to think if they lose this game, um, they will have dropped their last five games, uh, and I'm going to say that their playoff hopes have come to an end. Well, it really um, all depends, man, because like the Rams and uh, Green Bay lost this week, which helped Seattle. But yeah, I mean, it, well, we lose a tie break to the Rams if we have the same true. record. So I don't know. There's there's a lot of things that have to happen for us to get in there. Um, they can do their best to win these last four games. Um, but it's not looking good. I'd put them at uh, 10 and seven if they can win these last four. Um, but that's never happening. They're not, they're not winning these last four games, Mike. They might win. They might go two and two. I'm telling you what the reality is. I'm not telling you what I think this okay. is going to happen. I am a hundred percent agreement. I've been, once I saw this four game, uh, gauntlet that they're in right now. I was like, there's no way we're coming out of any of these games with a win. We're done. And we went into that with the loss against the Rams. So there was no like, we're riding this high and we're going into this and we can sneak two of these games. We can sneak from the, you know, Dallas. They haven't been, they haven't beat anybody above 500. We might be able to find a way to exploit uh, Philadelphia's um, middle I mean, at the time, I think um, uh, the 49ers had a three-game losing streak. So there's some talk about uh, we were at the top of the NFC West for we one five and two. goddamn week. We were five and, and two, man. And, and that was it. And we haven't now, we haven't now we're touched six and eight, six and seven. From five Jeremy, and two to six and seven, man, just terrible. We we flew too close to the sun. That's yeah, it. That's all it is. There you go. <laughs> uh, I did want to just like, I guess my spotlight for the game is that uh, San Francisco offense though. Like there's just no way to stop these, all these guys like Christian McCaffrey runs for 145. Uh, Debo catches seven balls for 149 and a touchdown. Kittle catches three balls for 76 yards and a touchdown. Iuk had 126. Yeah. Iuk, pick your poison, man. It's, it's nuts. Death by a thousand yards. All right. All right. Uh, Buffalo at KC. Um, Kansas City came into this game on a, a losing three of their last five. So it wasn't um, it hasn't been a good few weeks for them. They lost the previous week to Green Bay. Um, this is the first two game losing streak in the Mahomes era. I think that's something of note. Um, neither team really jumped off the screen in this game. It's more of like a kind of a defensive game than it was. Uh, that offense that we that offensive battle that we expected with these two teams with these two quarterbacks specifically yeah um yeah I had down another monster game between uh, these two AFC juggernauts uh, the one big difference was that we did not see Yolo Josh Allen uh, for Buffalo this week uh, and Kadarius Tony is still a moron for Kansas City yeah, that's the spotlight. Casey's final drive, offsides penalty to Kadarius Tony nullifies the go-ahead TD play that Mahomes. Um, it was kind of like everyone's calling it one of the coolest plays in the year so far. Had it actually uh, 
worked, uh, but it was just nullified by this um, by this offsides penalty. Mahomes starting to show some some frustration on the sidelines. Um, obviously misdirected at the referees. A uh, lot of talk about the team from the team's perspective. He's supposed to look over there and he's supposed to get the okay or the not okay. And then he gives an opportunity for him to readjust his feet. Um, me just looking down the fucking line of scrimmage, like they should couldn't know, see the ball. You couldn't see the ball. T- take take a half a step back or you know, look down the line when you know i don't know it to me it's just like mental mistakes yeah well that, that, i always thought that was the thing man i've always been a big guy so i never played wide receiver in high school or anything but i thought always thought like you look back at the ball like you watch the ball to, to see it get snapped because you can't more than likely you can't hear the play the the snap count i will say at the level that you played and i played uh, referees don't do shit to help you. So there's, it, I don't think it's, they, there are things that they do on an NFL field that it's like, we need to keep the plays going. We don't want you guys constantly lining up on the line of scrimmage and us, us having to pull these flags out every two minutes because you guys are not fucking paying attention. So they help them out. They give them a little thing. They also communicate with the refs before and after the game, during the game. Hey, I'm going to drive down here and at three seconds, I'm going to call a timeout just a heads up. You know, those are the types of things and the communication that you have with these referees. I got a little rant about these knuckleheads later. Um, but for this game, it's not on them last week, potentially on them with the, with the against green Bay and not calling pass interference on two what I thought were clear, clear shoves of a, um, of a Kansas city receiver. But this week, this is on Kadarius, Tony, this is on the Kansas City coaching staff for not, you know, making sure that this is all squared up. You know, maybe a timeout helps there to be like, hey, this guy is off fucking sides. We need to not run this play right now. Um, Matt, I, I can feel Mahomes' frustration coming through the TV. I think it's just misplaced who he was directing that towards. He certainly can't just start yelling at his receiver on the sideline. That never turns out well. Um quarterback i listened uh last night or the night before i listened to the bill simmons podcast and they were they were talking about how they always said you know kansas city is the one kind of juggernaut team we've had over the last few decades you know like when the cowboys were so good back in the early 90s everybody hated that it was either you loved them or you hated them but it was pretty split uh, you know, everybody kind of hated the New England Patriots when they were so good over the last decade and a half. Um, but Kansas City kind of had that kind of lovable, I don't know what it was. Everybody kind of liked Patrick Mahomes. Everybody likes Travis Kelsey. And now this year, it's they're almost they're slowly turning into a villain, it feels like with, uh, you know, like the, just especially with uh, Patrick Mahomes meltdown and like complaining to Josh Allen after the game when they're meeting up in the, in at midfield. Um, I don't know, man. I just feel like you have to have more poise than that. And uh, that just seemed like he was being, uh, I don't even know what you want to call it. Petulant child or I, I don't know, man. He was. Just- yeah. That's why I don't think, I don't think this is a villain thing. I don't think we still look at them as a villain. We do look at them as throwing a temper tantrum and to your point, it's not what you should be doing, but I also understand the emotion and the frustration and it needs to be directed at the right people, not the, the refs in this situation. And you certainly don't have that conversation with Josh as you go by. Um, 
hey, I've said a bunch of stupid shit when I shouldn't have in my life. And uh, I have a lot of empathy for Mahomes and this whole situation. Uh, but it's time for them to get into a room, go into that court, that wide receivers room and just start doing what you can to get them to understand how this game is played and what happens when the ball comes your way. Like, what is your job? And it's to catch the ball. Um, and that's it. So they yeah. need to start doing that. All right. Yeah. Game ball. Oh, go ahead. Game ball. Josh Allen, 55%, uh, which isn't pretty very good on 233, one touchdown, one interception. He had 32 yards rushing in a TD. Again, wasn't a huge stat day for either uh, team, uh, but Josh Allen certainly was uh, the engine to the victory here uh, for Buffalo. Yep. Can't, can't uh, be mad at that one. All right. Uh, Denver at uh, LA Chargers. LA Chargers are in trouble. Uh, they're five and eight after the loss. Justin Herbert's out for the rest of the season with a broken index finger on his throwing hand. And uh, I think Brandon Staley's a member of the walking dead at this point. I would be shocked if he was, wasn't a casualty of black Monday. Uh, meanwhile, Denver seven and six and one game out of first place, in the NFC West. I mean, who would have thought um, this is probably uh, the most under the radar storyline of the second half of the season. This, this Denver Broncos team and their fight for the NFC West title division title. What the Broncos? AFC West, but yeah. Um, AFC West. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, my, my main notes, uh, Denver gets multiple turnovers again. That's been a big theme of their kind of turnaround this season is they're they're just turning the other team over constantly. Um, they didn't last week. No, and, and they uh, lost. Yeah. Right, exactly, exactly. And then I, you know, Justin Herbert breaking his finger. I think I made this note before it was confirmed that he's out for the year. Um, and I said I can't see him coming back this year. The Chargers are done. Uh, you know, Russell Wilson, man, he he doesn't put up like gaudy numbers, but you know, he throws for two twenty four, two touchdowns and an interception. Um, Javante Williams, the I like that running back they have out there, 66 yards and a touchdown. Uh, and it seems like Cortland Sutton just catches touchdowns every goddamn week, Mike. Like what? So the- to, yeah, so my game ball goes to that pass. Not Russell, not Cortland, right. just that one pass. It was a 46-yard uh, TD pass to Cortland Sutton. It's 46 in the books, but it was more like 60 air yards with the drop back and it went into the back of the end zone. Russell dropped it into the bucket. It was a great catch by Sutton with a defender in his back pocket. Um, man, that is the Russell that we loved watching. That is the Russell that uh, uh, threw that dime uh, to curse in mm-hmm. the, in the, uh, the NFC championship game to get us uh, to our second Super Bowl in a row. That's the Russell that's fun to watch. Agree. Agree. All right, I wanted to give a a shout-out to uh, the Denver defense. Uh, They held the Chargers to under 300 total yards. They forced two turnovers back on the turnover train, for your point. Um, Held the Chargers to under 5% on third and fourth down conversions. They couldn't move the ball, essentially. Added six sacks, nine hits of the various Charger quarterbacks that were out on the field. So good job by that squad. Yeah, for sure. All right, here's these primetime games. 
the the game ball was the pass. The pass. That's right. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. No All particular right. person. Just that one one play. Gotcha. Um, all, all right. So, uh, prime time, first one, Philly at Dallas. This was game four breaking Mike. Um, it's Eagles Island is flooding basically. So we have some homes underwater there, but we're going to, we're going to get it all fixed. We've got FEMA coming in. Um, there were some people out there like me that thought this might be the get right game for Philly after that previous three game and 13 days stretch. Uh, this was not the case. Dallas is 14-1 at home over the last two seasons, and they displayed this level of dominance on Sunday night. Yeah, um, my first note was that the Eagles have given up 75 points to their two biggest NFC rivals the last two weeks. Doesn't look, that doesn't sound like a, a recipe for success. Um, their offense seems stagnant and I just, uh, read something on Twitter this morning about how AJ Brown is starting to, there's rumblings kind of coming out of him and his little entourage about what the hell's wrong with this offense and they need to get him the ball. Um, and the, you know, the Eagles defense just is, is getting kind of run over by these high powered, uh, offenses, which not a good, not a good situation to be in. Yeah. Uh, you know, the Eagles, I thought that like an interesting sequence in this game, the Eagles kick a field goal with a minute and 42 seconds left in the first half uh, to make the score 17 to six. And then immediately just let Dallas drive the ball down the field and Dak Prescott hits uh, Michael Gallup for a touchdown to put them ahead 24 to six at halftime. And it just really felt like it was over at that, that point. Um, you know, the Eagles couldn't get anything going offensively in the second half with their only points coming on a Jalen Carter fumble return for a touchdown. And that's just, you can't, you can't, you can't score six points offensively against anybody and expect to win. Yeah. Uh, to that point, Philly did not, this is my spot spotlight for this game. Philly didn't have that answer. They typically have an answer, somebody that steps up, some adjustment that takes advantage of the other team's weakness. That hasn't happened. This is the second week in a row that Philly didn't have that counterpunch. Um, Jalen had a pretty poor day. The running game never got started. Three turnovers in the middle of that Philly defense can't stop anyone. So that's a huge problem. They got some things that they need to work out. Um, the good news is they're kind of going into a – uh, a waning Seattle um, Seahawks team. We're going to play them on Monday night. So I would think that they win that game, even if they bring 70, 80% of who they are, that pass rush is, I think, going to destroy Locke, trying to get him into some, some bad decision times. But right now, this week, man, they didn't look very good. Uh, they're probably falling down my power rankings right now. I would switch. I would swap them and Dallas. Well, I think I had Philly number one, so I wouldn't put Dallas number one. Probably San Francisco number one, Baltimore maybe, Dallas. Um, I still have Kansas City up there despite their woes. Um, and then I'd probably put uh, at, at the number five, Philly, uh, after this game. Uh, my game ball goes to Dak Prescott. Yeah, let's go, uh, kid. Um, Last year, I felt justified with all the rain slander and the turnover jokes. But this year, Jack is a uh, Dak is a Jack. 
Dak is a top 10 quarterback. He has uh, 30 total TDs this this year so far, 28 pass, two rush, and only eight turnovers, uh, six interceptions to two fumbles. Uh, this week, 62% on 39 passes, 271 yards and two TDs. I uh, did lose a fumble this week, however. Uh, I think the, the difference between Rain and Dak is Dak is making better decisions when the play breaks down this year. Um, wasn't last year the first year back after that major leg injury? Am I am I right in that? I think I think it was one more. I think there was a year. Okay. okay. But he seemed stiff last year, not really moving outside of the pocket, pushing the ball a little bit too much downfield, uh, into some windows that he probably shouldn't. Um, there's also we we did an analysis last season about kind of some of his his interceptions and a lot of it, like I'd say about a third to half of it were um his uh receivers really not doing him any favors especially Gallup Gallup has really gotten better this year so he must have definitely been uh you know working with him over the year uh but yeah man it's he's playing so much better um and again one of the most beautiful balls that I see in in football he throws the ball very well and it looks good yeah no I agree um I I did want to point out uh Jake Ferguson um He's really coming on for the Cowboys as uh, five receptions. This is, this is three straight yards. Ferguson games. Yeah, no, he's looked good the last couple of weeks. Uh, yeah, having five catches for 72 yards, um, you know, nice little game for him. Back-to-back hurdle games, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's always fun to watch. Yeah, for sure. All right. All set with this one? Yep, yep. All right. Tennessee at uh, Miami. There were two Monday night football games. This one started first Uh, game five of the breaking Mike series. um, I'm losing hope for Miami. Um, My note for them was S O F T soft on paper. uh, This game shouldn't be this close. Miami should boat race Tennessee. Uh, The Tennessee defense pretty much just ran too high all night. Uh, Got pressure up front on Tua. And once Tyreek Hill went down, Miami had no real answer offensively. I will say, despite all of this, uh, Miami had a, a surge of 14 points after they, you know, recovered a, a muff punt, a muff punt and a fumble by Will Levis. I'm glad they gave the fumble to Will Levis and not um, and not Derek Derek Henry. Um, I think that's fitting at least. Um, and they were up by 14 points with less than three minutes in the game. Now, weird stat on the internet. Since 2016, teams up 14 points with less than three minutes to go were zero and 767 until uh, this Tennessee's comeback. So quite a historic night and a tough, tough loss. Damn it, Mike. Thanks for stealing my uh, thanks for stealing my stat lines. Um, Yeah, I had Tyreek Hill gets tackled on the sidelines and his ankle gets rolled up on uh, and then the wheels just seem to fall off of the Miami offense. He did come in back in a couple times. It was it was a horse collar hip drop tackle that wasn't called. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I honestly, after those uh, two turnovers and then subsequent two touchdowns by Miami uh, to when the game was tied 13-0. I turned it off because I just figured yeah, after the muff punt and the uh, and that that fumble that they got put on Will Levis uh, with the the it just a terrible toss to to Derrick Henry that he had no chance to grab. Um, I, yeah, I turned it off. It's twenty seven 
to 13 at that point. Um, and yeah, teams down by two touchdowns with three minutes or less to go in a game had lost like 760 or whatever games in a row. The announcers, the announcers were talking about it. Like it was over. They were starting to like add next week on CBS or whatever they do. Yeah. And so I switched over to the other game and then all of a sudden I realized that, you know, I just saw like a little quick highlight that uh, it was that, that Tennessee had scored and had the ball back. I was like, Oh shit, let me flip back over there. Um, and yeah, like it, that, it was, it was crazy, man. I still can't believe it. And they scored, they scored really, they scored two touchdowns in a minute and 10 seconds, essentially. Cause they gave the ball, they scored the second touchdown, the minute 49 to go. Uh, and then, you know, I, I was figuring Miami was just going to drive down the field and, and kick a field goal to, to end the game, uh, up 20. They played super conservative, uh, on some of those plays, uh, towards the end of the game, trying to like kill clock. And yeah. they really didn't even kill clock. It was like turnover on downs, like four or five straight runs. I just, I yeah. didn't get it. And, and the weird punt. Yeah, no, that was bizarre, man. Um, Tuma was I, slipping all over the field too. There was one where he kind of like faked, came back and both feet, like somebody pulled the rug out from under him. Just didn't yeah. understand what was going on there. Yeah, no, I was, uh, I was impressed with Will Levis, you know, keeping them in that game and, and, and driving, driving him down i know he did have the one pick six early on uh that was just a disgusting play but um you know he ends up throwing for 327 yards and touchdown and interception but also did lose a fumble um and then derrick henry uh you know with rushing for 34 yards and, and uh only 34 yards but did have two touchdowns to go with it so good good on him yeah so um my game ball goes to Levis as well. I just the just the comeback, the the throws to uh, DeAndre Hopkins. He even missed him, and I know uh, him and Hopkins got into it last week. And this week there was a moment where he had walked over and had a discussion. He uh, Will Levis didn't see him kind of over the middle, and he kind of threw this like he dirted a pass to the left. And just completely missed him. Third down, they were off the field. Wasn't looking good. They go to the sideline, have a conversation. And, man, I felt like DeAndre Hopkins out there, 124 yards and a touchdown, really was the catalyst for this comeback. And Will Levis was making some really, really great throws downfield. Again, that ball just just fires out of his hands. Um he just needs to control that that um, that velocity in in kind he, of he's shorter fun to throws. Watch. Seeing him like it, it, celebrating on the sideline is just kind of fun, man. He reminds me. I don't know if I don't know who, man. It, it, I just I he's he's fun to watch for me. I don't know. I still I kind of wish the Seahawks would have drafted him in the second round last year um, of the draft, but yeah, I'm uh. We'll uh, see. I'm a, we'll I'm a, see. I'm a Will Levis fan. I'm rooting for Tennessee, man. We'll see how it goes. I mean, we talked about it a couple weeks ago. The We don't know what's going to happen yet. Things have a tendency to kind of even out as we go. And at some point, he's going to have to progress in how he reads the field, how he throws short routes. Like, there are some things that he needs to tighten up. But right now, he's definitely come out there competing. He is not afraid to take shots downfield. He looks like he's putting guys in position in these really like two minute drills, which to me 
is like one of those things, not losing your shit in, in, in when stuff gets hard and you're out there m- making sure people are where they're supposed to be, which tells me he's learning the entire game. He's reading defenses. All of those things to me are very, very uh, good traits for a quarterback to have. He seems to have them. Just I want to see progression with, you know, his throws and things like that. But yeah, to your point, man, I think the sky's the limit for this kid. I, uh, I did see a quote from Deandre Hopkins talking about like how exciting of a player that all the, the veterans think that this kid is and that they're all on his, you know, on his side and and backing it, backing him up. So, um, it's great to see I'm, I'm, I'm rooting for him. So I like his passion, man. I like his passion. All right. Last game, Michael. All right, Green Bay, uh, New York Giants. Uh, games. This is the sixth game in the in the Breaking Mike series. Uh, Green Bay pours fire on their winning streak. I was kind of hoping that Green Bay would make this push. Um, I thought they had a shot for even getting to uh, the uh, NFC North division title, um, but at least making the playoffs. This makes it a little bit more com- complicated. You know, the legend of Tommy DeVito continues. He doesn't shine shoes anymore. We all know that. He's a quarterback for the New York Giants. Uh, For Green Bay, this ends their three-game winning streak and puts them a game under 500. Uh, This uh, New York Giants team really helped uh, Detroit this week. Yeah, New York's now only a game back of, what, Green Bay, the Rams, and Seattle. Um, There could be some interesting tiebreakers because, what, the Seattle – uh, owns the tiebreaker over the Giants, but the Rams own the tiebreaker over Seattle. And I don't know how Green Bay factors in, but it's, yeah, it's going to be interesting coming down the stretch. Uh, then if the late and if the Lakers win, then then Seattle goes to the playoffs. Right, and they're going to give us an NBA team back. Let's go. <laughs> no, okay. It's, uh, it's, like this a three, a, it's a three-game parlay you have to hit yeah, to get into the playoffs. Exactly. Exactly. I just put, uh, you know, this was a great back and forth game. Uh, three lead changes alone in the fourth quarter. Uh, Tommy DeVito's family and his consigliere were the off-field story for this one, uh, while Saquon Barkley and, and, and Tommy D were uh, were the on-field story. Uh, just, uh, like, I, I like, I, hearing Tommy DeVito interviewed after the game by Lisa, not, it was Lisa Salters, somebody out there on the field and he's just like i've been playing this game since i'm five years old like it's it, i play in a kid's game it's just obviously on a bigger stage i'm having the time of my life it's just like kids the kids infect like his energy is really infectious uh so i like that um you know saquon gets a kind of like I didn't start Saquon Barkley in my fantasy football league. So I'm just like, man, they're going to get it. I bet Green Bay is just going to shut them down and they're not going to be able to, like, this offense is going to come back to earth eventually. But yeah, he goes, <laughs> he goes, he rushes for 86 and two touchdowns. Tommy DeVito throws for 80% of his passes, Mike, for 158 and a touchdown while also uh, running for 71 yards and leading that freaking comeback victory hitting Wandale Robinson for that clutch pass for like 35 yards uh, right before they kicked the last second field goal uh, was fantastic. Uh, yeah. Tommy, Tommy, Tom, the stands, kissing everybody. It was, it was great, man. I was, it was it, a lot of fun watching this game. Yeah. Tommy had my game ball for all those reasons. Um, yeah. He's playing out there. Like he doesn't give an F 
And I think sometimes you have to do that, especially when you're the third string quarterback um, and he's just out there. Is he four string? I don't even know at this point. Was it, it was because they, they had a couple other quarterbacks out there that wasn't him, right? Yeah, because it was there, – there was definitely somebody after Daniel Jones. I've just been blanking on who it was. I don't know. Anyways, but he's out there. He's having fun. He has nothing to lose. They weren't really asking him to do a lot. I mean, 81% is always a good you know completion percentage, but it was only on 21 attempts. So they're not asking him to really do too much. I think – Obviously, he's getting it to the receivers, getting it to Saquon Barkley, and you know he's kind of doing the rest, uh, getting them into the red zone, and then having Saquon there to kind of like take it over and get that get those touchdowns. Um, I think the biggest thing that I like is that seventy-one yards. He had two massive run plays: one to extend the drive, and one to get into the like the two-yard line into the red zone. Uh, no turnovers. I mean, that's all you can ask from a guy. Uh, who is like the third or fourth string quarterback, uh, you know, on the team, on the practice squad, and it has to be elevated. You know, you want to you want to just have him control the game, not make any mistakes and give your team a chance to win. He definitely did that this week. Um, my spotlight, Green Bay, their mistakes, three turnovers, could not establish consistent running game without Christian Watson. They have no receiving playmaker. They couldn't establish any explosive uh, passing uh, at all. And just really poor scouting of DeVito's uh, running ability. Just not really – they completely abandoned and said, we're going to give him the middle of the field to run. Um, and, again, they did a pretty good job of uh, shutting down the receivers for the New York Giants, but they just left the middle of the field wide open on a couple of key plays. So um, I think they need to – these teams need to go back to the drawing board. If you don't want to – lose to the New York Giants and potentially affect your ability to get into the playoffs. Um, they're a dangerous team. Um, they can play good defense. And when you look at the, the, the micro environment of one game, they can game plan against you. Um, DeVito can, you know, move the ball a little bit. You got to be careful with these guys. They're a smart team. They're a fun team. And they were in those, the uh, 88 throwbacks yesterday. I mean, give them a little bit more juice. So. Good job by uh, the Giants and uh, Tommy DeVito. Absolutely. It's a great story. And and he won the NFC uh, Player of the Week. Oh, good for him. Yep, the New York boys. All right. <laughs> so uh, we, we're looking forward now, Mike. We are. All right. So what do you got? What do you my, got next week? Week my 15. Three, I found I, I could actually only find three that I'm really looking forward to. I guess I could have put the Eagles and Seahawks in here, but I don't think that's going to – I don't know. I'm not not really looking forward to that. Uh, Denver and Detroit was my first one. Um, just want to see like these teams seem like they're on opposite trajectories right now. Uh, it'll be it'll be a good uh, measuring stick, I think, for both of them. Um, right. Uh, Cowboys at Bills, I think, is going to be a good one. You know, who knows what the weather is going to be like in in late December in uh, Buffalo. It's going to be be fun to see how that one plays out and then uh ravens at jaguars was my third one. well let's let's back up to that cowboys bills game bills right now are a, are a two and a half point favorite over the cowboys wow. that's a 10 and 3 cowboys team on the road with a 7 and 6 buffalo bills team vegas clearly thinks buffalo's record is is far worse 
than they believe this team is. Right. And maybe the Bills make it. I, I do as well. I do as well. But the Cowboys are really good. I don't know. That that seems yeah. – I don't know. I would I would probably like to see that at like minus one or minus one and a half. But maybe this is a traditional home field gets, you know, three a three-point curve. Yeah. Who knows? Um, so you mentioned Ravens, Jaguars too, right? Yeah, I think that's going to yeah. be a pretty good one as well. That this is going to be the biggest test for the Jaguars all year. If they can win this game and show me, because like my opinion matters, and the rest of the world really that we can compete against the top AFC teams. If they think they can do that, they need this game. Um, and this is a Sunday night game, so that'll be really fun. Um, I'll watch the Eagles, uh, Seagulls, uh, Eagles, Seahawks, not a big deal. Uh, I, I think the I Eagles, I think the Eagles will win that game, but so some trap games, I think, um, interested in Falcons Panthers. Uh, that could be a trap game. Uh, that giant Saints game is going to be a bit of a trap game. I think chiefs at that, uh, at Patriots with that defense again, wait, the way that chiefs offense is rolling right now, uh, that might be a bit of a trap game and that jets at dolphins. Um, Dolphins not playing very well against good defenses. Uh, who knows how well uh, Tyreek's going to be feeling next week with the what, which I presume is some sort of ankle sprain. Um, we'll see how that goes. Um, that Dolphins defense, you know, they'll get a sack and they'll get you off the field and they'll shut you down. And then, you know, the next drive will give up just massive plays that just don't make sense. Um, I think they're Miami's minus eight and a half in this game. I think that's a little too high. Um, but yeah, that'll be fun to watch too. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. All right. So, so your question of the week, you sent it to me again, text it today. It looked like you used Siri to say it. So I had no idea what oh. it said. Well, I also so. said, go back and look, I sent it to you like a week ago. Um, my, uh, yeah, my, yeah. basically my, uh, question of the week, Mike, is how, if any, is Bill Belichick's legacy affected by his struggles and Tom Brady's successes after the two of them parted ways? I don't think it'll be me personally, just to preempt this. I don't think in the long run, we're going to even remember much of that, but I, I, I'm interested in, in your opinion on this. Um, I think I don't think it'll affect the legacy too much, um, especially when you look at it um, in its totality. Um, let's not forget that Bill Belichick has two uh, Super Bowls prior uh, as a defensive coordinator for the Giants. Got those in the '80s. Shut down the K gun offense of the Bills uh, back in in uh, that their first Super Bowl. So um, of the back to back to back ones. Um, so I don't, I don't know if his legacy, I think his legacy is pretty intact generally. And especially if he goes in and has a modicum of success in a second team, I'm hoping the chargers um, and chargers need some discipline. And then, you know, let's see, he has some success there. Let's say he gets to that um, all time winning record um, I think that changes the narrative a bit. Um, I think these two men, Brady and Belichick, can exist separately in their greatness. And I think we can remember them both as great, uh, great together, but also great apart. 
Yeah. All right. Good to know. I, I, Good to know. I really don't have any takes this week. I have a couple of takes. I'm going to use some of my takes down in the herding goat section. So uh, did you have any additional takes I just this week? Have, so uh, my, my take is how do we protect quarterbacks, Mike? Uh, I was always the one that, you know, I'm like, quarterbacks are babies. They have too many rules in place to protect these guys. You can't hit them anymore. Uh, but after the injury, like just the rash of injuries we've seen from quarterbacks, I want to put these guys in bubble wrap. Um, I don't know what we can do to stop it. But here I have a list of projected quarterbacks, starting quarterbacks for uh, week 15. It's Easton Stick, Aiden O'Connell, Davis Mills, Nick Mullins, Bailey Zappi, Mitch Trubisky, Drew Locke, that's a possibility, uh, Jake Browning, Joe Flacco, Tommy DeVito, Desmond Ritter, Derek Carr, Sam Howell, Baker Mayfield, Zach Wilson, Gardner Minshew, Bryce Young, Will Levis, Russell Wilson, Jared Goff, Kyler Murray, Matt Stafford, Trevor Lawrence. What, are you just reading oh, quarterbacks? Uh, no, I'm reading off the projected starting quarterbacks for week 15. Oh, okay. And Brock Purdy. So it's like half of these, I mean, more than half of these guys are were not starting quarterbacks the first week of the season. And it's just it, the quarterback position in the NFL is in shambles right now. It is. Quarterback play is not very good this year. Um, there's about five or six guys that really know how to do it. Um, we'll kind of get down maybe into seven. We always thought uh, one through seven was pretty unassailable, and any team would want um, any one of those players unless you already had somebody that was above them, I guess. I'm not sure Trevor Lawrence uh, is in that top seven anymore. Uh, Dak, I think, is probably in that. You know, you're Mahomes, Josh Allen, uh, Burrow, who isn't playing right now. Um, it's so important to a team. We used to, we started these rules, I believe, because the hiring or the signing of a quarterback was so expensive for a team. They were trying to protect their asset. So it's senseless to pay $400 million for 10 years for, for a quarterback just to have his clavicle broken because a 300 pound lineman decided to use his entire body weight to come down on him. Um, so now I have to pay 10 million this year or 40 million this year to a guy that isn't even playing on my team. And my team is four and 10 or four and 11 or whatever the hell it is at any given time. And we got, we have to change this. This is not an effective way to do business. So they made those changes and now we're just like, same thing. Now the most important it's not the quarterback is the most important, especially if you're in the middle. It's who's your backup. Is there a drop off between your first and second option at quarterback? If there's not, you can kind of ride this wave. We see that with uh, with uh, Cincinnati and, and teams like that. But if there is a huge gap, uh, you're Minnesota. Um, you're, I don't know, right. New Orleans. Um, it's it's pretty pathetic out there, honestly. You're Houston. That's a huge gap in Houston between Davis Mills and CJ Stroud. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Good luck, fan bases out there. You just yeah. keep your that's why I mean, I think the 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 perfect example is um when Trevor Lawrence went down, I think on that Thursday night game with the ankle. 
and they were basically carrying carrying him off the field, right? The look on the people in the crowd watching that guy go down and watching the potential of the rest of your season go up in shambles, you you as a as a as a fan base were going, we have an opportunity to go to the Super Bowl. Trevor Lawrence is awesome. Our team can do it. I believe in Peterson. And then he then Trevor Lawrence goes down. Everyone's standing there. You could hear a pin drop in that stadium. Everyone's got their mouth open. Like, what the actual F is happening right now? And that's to me what all of these fan bases fear. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. Protect the quarterback. Well, let's, uh, you want to go into diversity now? Yeah. Um, I think the real only like movie I watched this week that was new was, uh, leave the world behind. Have you seen this? Watched it yesterday. And what's your take? Uh, A little cerebral for you. No, I just, it was interesting. I mean, I didn't, I guess I was doing some other stuff while it was on. I guess Cherie was more watching it than I was. Um, but I, it was entertaining. Um, the ending was a little strange. But, yeah, it, it was a, it was an entertaining movie. I, I wouldn't, yeah, I, I'm going to probably watch it again and just kind of uh, focus in on it a little, little more significantly. But, yeah, what was your, what was your take? I loved it. Super nuanced. Um, there's a lot of mystery around what was happening. And I think that was part of it. Um, just not understanding like the distrust. It's basically um, a world where technology is removed due to some sort of event that we come to find as like some sort of hacker situation that essentially shuts down communication, satellites, everything, GPS out, no more internet, you know, TV signals are not working nothing's really working and um what that causes uh for for humans and it's kind of like this um world built out of um the pandemic where we connected through all of these social media platforms and you know kind of digitally connected versus actually being in front of somebody um and then losing that muscle of like identifying who to trust and who not to trust and the lack of kindness and how we kind of like a stranger comes up to your door. And the first thing you're, you're trying to figure out is how is this person trying to kill me versus, you know, 50 years ago, 60 years ago, it's like, how can I help this person? And it's kind of like, it's kind of like the decline of society through the technology that we've created to help us connect, which is super ironic, I guess. I thought it was really great. I loved it. And I love the ending kind of just like, let, let's let the people think about this a little bit. So I love movies like that. That was good. It was a good one, man. Um, So my two diversity things this week, uh, number one is I watched the Nate Bergazi, uh Tennessee kids stand up show. And I don't know why you keep shaking your head every time I say this. Um, <laughs> Cause who watches comedy shows anymore? Like who doesn't want like if we if if uh freaking what's his name puts out a new comedy uh Dave Chappelle you're not gonna watch it uh no okay well I don't know if we even need to do a diversity segment anymore um no go ahead tell me more about no, Nate, I'm uh, I'm just Bergassi. saying I don't want to hear your diversity segment anymore if you're not watching <laughs> Dave Chappelle's stand up comedy 
uh, anyway, it was hilarious, worth the watch. And then uh, I also started watching this show called Bookie on HBO with Sebastian Maniscalco, Maniscalco, uh, which was I've been side eyeing that one. Pretty funny. You 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 don't watch it. You will not like it. Um, Why would you say it, that? Because there's like a ton of nudity in it, and I know that's like you're out on that. So uh, it's just egregious. Not I mean it's not that bad, but it's bad enough that you would not like it. Uh, it, but it's, it's, I thought it was hilarious. I think this Sebastian Maniscalco guy, like who wasn't even on my radar, uh, prior to, um, the movie coming out that he had written about him and his father starring, uh, Robert De Niro. But yeah, I mean, he's like really been popping up a lot lately. And I, I he uh, was on, um, comedians in cars getting coffee with Jerry Seinfeld. It was oh, a pretty yeah. decent episode. Yeah. That's how I was introduced to the guy. Okay. Yeah, I guess he was in. I didn't realize he was in the Irishman. He's been in a few, uh, few different movies that um, I saw him on another on a podcast that uh, they were talking about how big of a stand. And I guess he's sold out Madison Square Garden multiple times, and so now he's kind of getting into the Hollywood side of things. And you know, nobody really knew who he was coming in, even though he's so big in the comedy world, apparently. So anyway, yeah, couple couple interesting, uh, fun fun shows. Uh, stand-up comedy and uh and a, and a new show on hbo so check those out right on all right so aside from that um i had the pleasure of being over at your house the other day when during the heisman trophy ceremony and i wanted to get your thoughts on on the winner i had mentioned we had a text conversation about this and you know, I would have loved Michael Penix to get it. I just didn't think that he was. And um, that was your your vote. I picked the kid out of LSU. Uh, just for me, he has all, he hit all the notes that these Heisman committee voters like. Weird, like uh, paradigm shifting games where he goes for like 300 yards passing and 200 yards rushing and these, these, regardless of who it's against, and I understand that argument as well, but to me, it was like flash, and that's what the Heisman Trophy seems to be, like a lot of flash, a lot of athleticism, these guys that can do amazing things, uh, leap tall buildings in a single bound, um, but when you start to extrapolate or pull from that and go, oh, this, oh, this translates to the NFL, never works that way, and I think play on the algorithm i chose the kid what is his name jalen daniels yeah. out of lsu yeah so what's your take i just my thing is i they they switched the parameters for the award up too much for me because it's like most most of the time it feels like you have to be a part of a very successful team and lsu lost three games and 99% of the time, I bet if you go back through history and look at Heisman Trophy winners, their teams were either right near the top five, top three, top, you know, one of the national championship caliber teams. Um, and I, so I, I felt like that alone should have eliminated Jaden Daniels. But um, I, I mean, breaking the numbers down, yeah, he had better numbers than. Michael Penix he's the only I think he's the only player in the I don't know how long but the the, the 
to throw for 350 yards and rush for 250 yards, I think, in the same game, which is unbelievably impressive. Um, and, and, you know, I think that once LSU's season was over, I think they were just like, screw it, let's let him throw and run every play, and we're going to try to win him the Heisman Trophy. And, you know, that's that's their prerogative, that, and that was, you know, the team's prerogative to give him the uh the award i think i think if people would have waited maybe until after the pac-12 championship game to see what happened between washington and oregon and and michael Penix and bo nix specifically that maybe things would have been a little bit different but it was i think the close one of the closest uh closest heisman trophy um races in in recent history as far as like the numbers broke down so I mean that that's good. It's it's cool, man. Michael Penix had a hell of a year, and and they're they still have something to play for, unlike unlike Jaden Daniels and the LSU Tigers. So, well, this is an individual award. It's not an MVP. It's, it's also there are a precedent for uh, players to win it that where they weren't on good teams. Uh, look at Barry Sanders, nineteen eighty eight. The Oklahoma State Sooners weren't in the top twenty five at all. So there is a precedent for this, that they really are looking at a particular person with a particular record. Let's not forget that he, that Jaden Daniels passed for almost 4,000 yards, 8,000 or 3,800 yards and ran for over 1,100 yards in uh, 12 games or 11 games. Um, that's a pretty substantial feat, just raw numbers, very hard to do to go for over 3000 and uh, passing and over a uh, thousand rushing in a single season. Um, so it was a spectacular year by him. And I think they probably made the right decision. Maybe. All right. There you go. Herding goat. All right. My good uh, Jake Browning, 80% completion percentage in his, uh, Start game started this year 79.7 whatever um jake and bake love it man i love to see it love to see it um last washington huskies quarterback to take us to the uh bcs playoffs um so you know i'm pulling for him good awesome my good this week is logan my little corgi um had it had his surgery this week or yesterday in fact um he got uh, got neutered, unfortunately, but he uh, we, we got him picked up just he good energy. This guy recovers so quickly. Um, just a really <laughs> I'm really happy that he's back and healthy and, and all that kind of other stuff. So good job by him getting through this tough time. Good job, bud. Good job, bud. All right. You're bad. Uh, my bad. I was like, I, I found myself watching uh, a good portion of the Atlanta Falcons game this weekend. I don't even know how. I don't know if it just kept popping up on the red zone. It was on, re- it was on red zone early quite often. Yeah, yeah. and so uh, Youngway Koo apparently had the career field goal percentage record from Justin Tucker for approximately one game. And the announcers kept talking about it, and he kept missing field goals so, <laughs> after that. So it was, uh, it was kind of a funny, funny bad one. But yeah, they just they kept talking. It was like they just jinxed him, man, by by uh, talking talking him up so much. So what was your bad? 
Uh, my bad is the refs. Um, now we've talked about the refs before, but I'm coming in with a little bit different tweak. The NFL and their uh, partners have been employing all of these wonderful things for technology that make it great for the fan to be able to watch this game. This includes um, like the the cameras in the, the, the little cones at the end zone. Um, they include like the camera that zips up and down at the, from the stadium, the sky cam. They got cameras at every angle. They can see a foot in a blade of grass move. All this technology that they have, yet we're still letting a person on the field make some of these calls um, to really bog down the game. And it's just like, why aren't we pushing for more technology to help make some of these decisions? Like, for example, why isn't there some sort of mechanism to illuminate the line of scrimmage on the field? Make like sense. why why are we even allowing for human error in this case? Does do people want to lose games because of an offsides? I don't think so. And if and if you put that line, demarcate that line of the that line of scrimmage on the field somehow, then every player knows where to line up, where that ball is, and all that kind of other stuff. And we eliminate some of these ticky tack bullshit calls that really determined in, in big part these games. And I think you make people happy. I They need to start employing some technology to remove the human error. And it's not the review because the review takes forever. It has to be beamed across the world and all sorts of places in order to uh, like get them to be able to review it with refs somewhere in New York and all this kind of other stuff. This is just ridiculous. Let's start using technology. Tennis knows when a ball goes out and not in. How come we don't have the little toe tap indicator going, the computer says it's in, we're moving. And it's just very simple because we trust technology and we trust the cameras and we trust the perspective and it's a game of inches. And now we're showing those inches, you know, 15 years ago, we'll have to take people's word for it because there was two cameras on the field. Now there's 40. And we see everything. We see all the blemishes these refs make. They're not getting any better at their profession um, to, to keep up with the level of technology. The NFL needs to do better. They need to train the refs. They need to hire them full time. They need to get them familiar with the technology and do all the things. Let's move this game forward and stop with these idiots changing the, the games. It's not fun. It's just... It's stuck to watch. Major League Baseball is also doing similar stuff with their minor leagues, uh, implementing challenges to pitch to, to strike and ball counts or calls. And uh, you literally do not need an umpire. No, behind. No, they already have that the the pitch tracker stuff. Like just have that be called balls and strike. I mean, you need. I feel like I guess even out on the bases, you don't necessarily need them. You can probably have some kind of technology that can tell when a player touches the base or whatnot. But yeah, and I, mean, I so, think technology is going to replace referees sooner than later. I think people are uncomfortable in a scenario where the players are out there by themselves with no quote unquote oversight. And I think where it becomes difficult is like, let's say they get into a fight, then how do we unpack that and throw somebody out? Well, you have a couple of people sitting in a chair in the outfield 
watching this shit go down or whatever, or a couple of enforcers running in to break it up. And then a call from where, wherever, whoever's watching the game go. Yeah. Uh, 14 is going to be ejected. 15 is going to, you know, is good. There's a personal foul here. Like it's so easy to do, but I think it's, it feels weird for people. The fact that we got two knuckleheads looking up to see if a field goal goes in right now is absolutely outrageous. Let's get rid of those two guys and let's just have a computer and all the cameras, just figure this stuff out, move this game along. We don't have to review these, (laughs) these scoring plays so much. Just get it done, guys. Agreed. It's there. It's available for us all. All right. What's your ugly? Uh, Mike, this might sound blasphemous, but there's sure. too much NFL football on TV. I'm not looking forward to Saturday games now on top of Thursday games and Sunday games and Monday games and having to watch all of this. It just gets to be a lot. And yeah. I agree, actually. I, I kind of like, uh, I, you know, I know, and somebody might say, oh, there's our, you know, up until this week, there's Saturdays are full of college football, but I don't have to sit and analyze and take notes and focus on these games. I, the college games, I can just enjoy myself, have a beer, uh, you know, relax, not have to pay too close of attention to the game, just kind of let it be mind numbing and, uh, and just enjoy myself as opposed to, you know, really analyzing the game like I do with these NFL games. So that's my ugly. Yeah. I mean, excess is up to a point becomes like too much. At some point you have to get back to life. You have to get back to other things for us. We're have to be pretty dialed in to these games. Uh, We don't have to watch every stinking moment and there's ways we can, you know, when we get, in positions to like, well, I definitely can't watch that game because I have this very important other thing that I need to do. So there are moments where we can take that time, but for the most part, we try to like dial into this stuff. And it is a time I'm not really complaining, even though it sounds like I'm complaining. Um, it, it does like, give me a day, give me a day to recoup. Right. It's like, let's get rid of Thursdays. We don't need Thursdays anymore. Like, let's just stick with Sunday and Monday. Let's just do regular stuff. Um, so I'm not looking forward to Saturday either. Uh, it's just a it's just a lot. It's an overload. It's like eating ice cream for dinner every day. All right, man. Was that your ugly? Yeah. Or that, that was, was my, your bed? No, that was my ugly. So what, what do you got for yours? My ugly is the NFC South. And not just because of the records and all that kind of other stuff. But I'm looking at, like, the teams themselves. Um, when you look at all four of these teams, they all have some like really uh, dysfunctional leadership, um, you know, some sort of like, for example, Tampa Bay, not really moving on from, you know, what I think is a bad coaching staff, not really taking the time to re-up. It just like it feels like the off the, the front office isn't doing what they need to do to put a good product on the field right now. Atlanta Falcons. Um, really not taking the chances that they need um, to, to make this team better. Um, not going for Lamar Jackson, just don't seem to like, let's get some old retread players in really not taking any chances, not consistently good at hiring um, talent. They've been through a couple of coaches. They had one good run. They were like smart enough to hire Kyle Shanahan as an offensive coordinator. Look what happened. Let's, 
that should tell them right there that talent is important. New Orleans Saints, who knows what these guys are doing? They're well known for being one of the first, the worst like medical uh, teams, worst ownership groups. They're not focused on the team. I think the husband already died. The wife just died. I don't even know who owns this team anymore. And then um, the Panthers with David Tepper and man, the, the previous guy Richardson was a complete POS too. So it's just like a, it's just like years and years, decades even of dysfunction and bad drafting and front office crap. And uh, I don't know, what do they got? Two Super Bowls between them in the last 20 years. Yeah, I guess it's. Yeah, that's my ugly. And it's not getting any better this year just watching these games. It's just pathetic. Yeah, that's true, man. Um yeah, so that that's your uh that's your ugly there? That's my ugly. All right. Well, please listen, like, rate, review and share this podcast. We appreciate anybody uh who actually listens to it other than me and Mike. <laughs> um <laughs> But uh yeah, appreciate you, Mike. Take it away. Yeah, Jeremy, we're on to Cincinnati. It's nothing about the past. It's nothing about the future. It's right now. We're preparing for Cincinnati.